while you're making your way there, um, just a prayer request. I, I know that uh, this morning, Deb Messner um, ended up, had a little accident, ended up in the hospital. <clears throat> and so we just want to remember her in prayer. Um, I, I don't know the extent of it. I was just told in passing, but I thought I could uh, put it out to the church body so that each one of us could be in prayer for Deb. And then there's a lot of sickness going around. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you getting that little bug, but it, it's, it's out there. So um, pray for those who are sick. It's a good time of the year to get sick, right? Right, uh, Christmas tomorrow, and, and probably you get some days off from work, so you may as well get the, the sickness out of the way at that point. But um, So pray, be in prayer for those who are sick and, and traveling as well. And then it's Christmas Eve, and we get to come together again. We had a great uh, time last night of worship and we get to come back together again this morning <clears throat> and worship the Lord again and uh, study His Word and, and uh, get to just come into a deeper fellowship with Him and appreciation for what He has done for us and uh, continues to do in us and through us. Um, <clears throat> my prayer that as we've gone through this study through the four Gospels, uh, each one of them describing <clears throat> Jesus in a different way, my prayer has been that God would give each one of us a passion for the Gospels. Um, we haven't really even touched the surface that is there um, when we could dig and dig and dig and find so much truth um, in each one of the Gospels. I really, my goal is just to give you kind of a, an overview, um, you know, the, the helicopter view of, the, of these Gospels, and to, to encourage you to go home and open up the Word of God yourself and to see what God has, what he has um, said, and what he continues to say to us through his word <clears throat> about his son, Jesus Christ. So in John chapter number one, <clears throat> John is the pinnacle of the four gospels. And the reason why John is the pinnacle of the four gospels is because it, it describes Jesus Christ as being God. Uh, everything about the book of John is is meant to show us it, that Jesus Christ was 100% God, fully God, fully man. Luke describes the fact that Jesus was fully man. John describes the fact that Jesus was fully God. Uh, a matter of fact, if you were to take the book of Luke, you would walk away saying, Jesus is a man. And no question that Jesus Christ is a man. You take the book of John, you'll walk away saying, Jesus Christ is God. And the reality of it is, is one of the, one of the most... Um, miraculous parts of Jesus Christ's nature is that he was God and man at the same time, and a fully God uh, and fully man. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a truth that's difficult to, to grasp, but it is a reality that makes salvation possible um, through Christ's sacrifice as a man and makes Christ's promises sure through Jesus Christ as being God. If either one of those things is not true, if Jesus Christ is not a man, his sacrifice is not sufficient for my sins. I then am going to have to pay for my own sins. If Jesus Christ is not God, his promises are not sure. And therefore, I must trust in something other than him. And so John and Luke are given, it, given to us so that we might come to appreciate both of those, to know Christ in both the ways and, and embrace Christ's character in both of these. The book of John has been said by many to need, to need to be taught separate from the other three Gospels because of this reality. Uh, some view it as the idea of the synoptic Gospels. 
three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, being very, very similar in their nature, and then John is, is completely different. Um, as we've learned through our study, the differences that we see in each one of the Gospels is purposeful. It, it, it is a part of God's inspired plan to give us something different about Jesus Christ in each one of the Gospels, again, so that we might know Him and, uh, and trust Him for salvation, for deliverance. So with that, we're going to look at the book of John. We're going to look at Jesus Christ as being uh, fully God. And uh, we're going to unpack what John says to help us understand this. And then at the end of the day, we will um, hopefully be able to place our faith in him, uh, depend upon him, trust him, uh, pursue him. All of these things might be a result of us knowing God as he presents himself or knowing Jesus as he presents himself in the book of John. We, we notice right away, if you're in chapter number one, we'll notice right away in verse one, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him or through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness was not able to overcome it. We skip down to verse number 14, and the Bible says in the word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father. And um, I've inserted the word begotten because the Greek word implies that, uh, that it is the only begotten, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Okay, so it's it's there, it's just not there in, in, in this version. So we want to understand that we are the sons of God, we are children of God. So the implication here is, is that Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father. He, he, Jesus Christ, was born of the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a, there's a distinction there, and we need to make sure that we understand that and, and grasp that. And the word, the Bible says, uh, uh, as of the only begotten Son of God, or Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we know that what the Scripture talks about when it refers to the Word is it's referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We, we were able to see God in, in, in human form. Um, Jesus Christ was not just an expression of God in human form, but Jesus Christ was God in human form. The Bible tells us in, in Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in Him, Jesus, the whole fullness of, G, of deity dwells bodily. And then in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, a much, having become much superior to the angels, as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs." So Jesus Christ is, is God the Son. Remember, the, and we don't want to get it, go, I mean, we can't go into great detail, but the Trinity is three distinct persons, one God. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all existing together in harmony before the foundation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, right? So the implication is, in the beginning, the Word, Jesus Christ, was already there. 
We go back to Genesis chapter number 1. In the beginning, God. Guess what? In the beginning, God was already there. In the beginning, Jesus Christ was already there. In the beginning, the Holy Spirit was already there. The Trinity is three distinct persons, one God. And they worked in harmony together. So when Jesus Christ came to this earth and took upon, uh, became a man, he became the God-man, God the Father was in heaven still. And Jesus Christ prayed to God the Father. So it's not that Jesus, that God manifested himself or God came to earth and, and, and took upon human form for a season, but God became a man, God the Son became a man distinct from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he, and he became a man, um, he became a man, one of the interesting truths about this is he became a man forever. He, he has a body today. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead the third day, he rose from the dead bodily. He physically rose from the dead. When he ascended up into heaven, he ascended up into heaven bodily. So when he rose from the grave, he took that body with him. He is the Bible says he is the first fruits. He is, he is the firstborn. And so what happens to him happens to all of us who, who trust him, who believe in him, who know him, and know the Father through him. The reason for the writing of this book, okay? <clears throat> the reason for the writing of John is to reveal the authority behind his words and his works. In other words, you will see all throughout the book of John, by this authority he did these things. And what John is describing for us is, is that whose authority was Jesus' authority? Jesus Christ was accused in the book of John several times as his authority being from the devil, Right? They said he had a demon. He cast, out, he cast out demons, and they said, well, he cast out demons in, in Beelzebub's name. And the Lord makes it clear where his authority comes from, he gives us an understanding of where his authority comes from for his words and his works, therefore affirming all of his prophecies and all of his promises. The second reason is, is to bring us to faith, to bring us to a point where we believe him and embrace him as Lord. Now, I said that the way I said it, for a reason. His goal is not that we believe in him as a person, but it's that we believe him. We believe what he says. There's a difference between believing in someone and believing someone. Does that make sense? How many of you believe that I exist? Okay, you believe that I exist, right? If you don't believe I exist, then we'll have therapy later, right? <laughs> but does that mean you believe what I say? Not necessarily, does it? Believing the Lord is not just believing in his existence. Matter of fact, James tells us that the devil believes in the Lord and trembles, right? Believing the Lord is believing what he says. Matter of fact, there's a miracle in, in, this, in this book when, when uh, a man comes to Jesus Christ who has a son who is sick. And Jesus Christ says to him, go your way. And, uh, and things will be, I'm paraphrasing, but the idea of it is, is go your way and things will be okay. The Bible says that the moment that that man believed what Jesus had said, believed the words of Jesus, and then he went home and, they, and he asked his, he said, his servant said, your son is better. And he asked his servants, well, when did he start getting better? And they said, about this hour yesterday. 
And he knew that it was at that hour yesterday that Jesus Christ spoke those words. He believed not just in the Lord's goal in the book of John is not that just, we just believe in Jesus, but that we believe Jesus. We believe what he says. We believe what he teaches. We believe what he can do. And then we embrace that and we experience that salvation. That's the third goal, is that we embrace Christ and then we get to experience his life. You see, that's the thing about the Christian life. is The Christian life is not about our lives becoming better. It's not about making ourselves better. It's not about buckling our shoes, strapping our, our seatbelt on, and making ourselves better. The Christian life is about Christ in us. It's about Christ being seen through you and, and being seen in you. And, and it's his life that we get to enjoy. It's his life that we get to experience. That's why the Bible talks over and over again about eternal life. There's only one person who has eternal life. Eternal life means no beginning and no ending. It doesn't just mean no ending. There's one person who has eternal life, and that's Jesus. And everybody who has Jesus has eternal life because they have Jesus' life. We, we, that's what we need. We need Jesus. Listen, folks, the lost are going to live forever. Do they have eternal life? They don't, do they? Because it's not about how long. It's about Jesus' life in you. Lost people do not have eternal life, but they live forever. Saved people live forever and they have eternal life because they have Jesus' life. That's what he wants us to do. He writes the book of John that we might embrace Jesus and experience his life. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? What a wonderful testimony, and that's what we enjoy. John 5 and verse 34 you can write these down. I'm going, to be, I'm going to move fairly quickly so you don't have to necessarily turn where we're going, but, um, but you can write them down and, and you can confirm what I've said later. John 5, 4 to 34 says this, Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John writes and says, I'm writing this to you so that you might be saved saved. That's his heart. That's his passion. And may I submit to you that that is the passion of Jesus Christ as well. And then John 20 and verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. This is written that we might have life. This is written that we might have salvation. This is written that we might embrace Jesus Christ as God the Son, capable of anything and everything. This is written for that reason. I want to give you about six things this morning. If, if you'll bear with me and if you want to take notes, you're welcome to, but I want to give you about six things this morning about the book of John to help us to see this. And these, this is going to be quick, and it's, going, it's, 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 there's a lot here, okay? 
but it's, it's healthy, it's good. And this is a meal, okay? And we want to eat from it, and we want to enjoy it, and we want to embrace what the Lord has for us. So we're going to look, number one, at the Lord's accolades in the book of John. Above other, any of the other Gospels, we see a lot of things in the book of John that are distinct, and they're, and they're about, again, they're about the Lord Jesus Christ being more than just man, while fully man, that he was also fully God. Number one in his accolades, his eternality, his existing before time. John makes it clear over and over again, John 1.1, 1, 1, before the beginning, Jesus Christ existed. John 1.3, at creation, all things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. He existed before time, in the beginning was the word. He existed before time existed, and, in, and at creation, nothing was made, nothing was made without him. He says to John the Baptist, before John the Baptist was, or John the Baptist says about him, before I was, Jesus was. We know that John the Baptist was born before Jesus was, don't we? Right? I mean, there, it's, it's very clear in Scripture. John the Baptist was born before Jesus Christ was. Not a long span, but it's very clear in Scripture that he was born before Jesus was. Right? So how can he say before John the Baptist is, I am? You know the answer, right? John 8 and verse 58, even greater challenge when Jesus Christ says, before Abraham was, I am. And remember, Jesus is talking to whom? The children of Abraham. This is a problem. Jesus is implying that he was before Abraham. John 17 and verse number 5, Jesus says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ existed before we ever see a man who lived 33 years on this earth. Jesus Christ existed with God the Father in heaven for eternity past. He was there. He became, he willingly came to this earth, took upon himself Became a man, according to Philippians, he became a man so that he might be the sufficient substitute for our sins. But before, remember this, never minimize Jesus Christ to just being a man. You, we miss, we miss the supremacy and superiority of Christ when we just view him as a man. His accolades, number two, his assessments. When he says in John 8, in verse 58, before Abraham was, I am, he connects himself back to Exodus chapter number three and verse 14, when Moses asks the Lord, when I go to the children of Israel and I tell them we're going to be free from Egypt, who do I tell has told me this? And the Lord God in heaven says, tell them that I am has sent you. This statement and this phrase is one of those most powerful phrases in the Word of God. What Jesus Christ implies by those two simple words is that I am everything. I am self-existent in me is everything necessary for your salvation and deliverance. That's why he doesn't include anything at the end of it. 
Hebrews 11 and verse six, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God, but we must believe that he is. I've always wondered, why does it just stop there? He is what? He is everything. He connects himself to God the Father in Exodus by saying, before Abraham was, I am. All throughout the book, he says in John 10 and verse 30, I and my Father are one. He says in John 14, verse 8 and 9, if you've seen my Father, you have seen, right? If you've seen my Father, you have seen me. He says in John 8, if you know my Father, you know me. In John 1 and verse 18, if we're already there, so we'll just look at it. He says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only begotten God, who is at the Father's side, he has made known to be known, to, has been, he has made him known. Okay? I always get a good laugh out of my kids when I make a hear him laughing over there. <laughs> it's all right. So he, Jesus Christ, claims in the book of John that he is God. There are religions out there, I'll tell you this, folks, there are religions out there that will tell you that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. They're lying to you. All you have to do is spend 10 minutes and read the book of John, and you will see that he claims to be God. And you won't just see that he claims to be God, but you'll actually see that he is God. You know what they accused him of at least two times, if not more, in the book? You know, you know why the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish people, the Pharisees and, and the Jewish religious people during that day, you, do you know why? Do you know what they attacked him for the most in the book of John? They said this, you being a man, make yourself God. You being a man, make yourself God. Jesus didn't make himself God. He was God. He just simply told them the truth. Right? Amen? John chapter number 5, if you want to write these down, 30 through 47. This is a, just a simple uh, place where the, the confirmation that Jesus Christ is God is given. His works confirm him. His Father cons- confirms him. The Scriptures confirm him. Moses confirms him. And he confirms himself. In these Simple verses, all in one, all confirming that Jesus Christ is God. Number three, his ascendancy. In the book of John, we see his omnipotence, the fact that he's all-powerful. Matter of fact, if you, as you study through the book of John, what you will see over and over again is this. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. These things did not happen because my time has not happened. In other words, what Jesus describes about himself in the book of John was that he was in control of everything. He was in control of everything that was happening. The Bible tells us that by the predetermined will of God that he hung upon the cross. He says this all throughout. The hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. John 17, he talks about the hour has come now that I might be glorified so that the Father in heaven might also be glorified. 
His omnipotence is seen in the book of John. His omniscience is also seen, the fact that he's all-knowing. In John 1.48, he talks to Nathaniel. He calls Nathaniel out, and he tells Nathaniel, I, I saw you or I knew you before I actually met you. And, and Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God. John 2.25 talks about Jesus Christ knowing what was in man. John 4, Jesus talks about knowing that the Samaritan woman had been married five times before he came and met her. In John 21, Simon implies that Jesus Christ knows everything. In John 7 and verse 13, the Jews marveled that he knew so much, having never been taught. And then John 21 and verse 11, Jesus numbered the fish that the disciples caught, and he said there were 153. What an amazing, there's so much truth in that very statement right there. We'll look at a little bit of it here in a minute. He numbered 153. He knew every one of those fish. You know why? Because he was God. He knew everything. Next of all, I always get so far into my points, I always have to say next of all. <laughs> Sorry about that. His authority. Where does authority come from? Two, two places. John makes it very clear in his word in the book as he writes that his authority comes from above. There's no question that John, that Jesus Christ's authority comes from above. Again, the battle is, does Jesus' authority come from the devil or does it come from heaven? And over and over again, he talks about the fact that he is here to do the will of his Father, right? John 4, 34, he says that the work that I have to do or the food or the things that I need to accomplish are my Father's will. John 5 and verse 30, it says he does the will of the Father who sent him. John 14, 10, the words and works Jesus does are done by the Father in him. John 17, verse 4, Jesus finished the work that the Father gave him to do, right? John 12, 49, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say these things. Jesus Christ's authority comes from where? It comes from above. But let me say this to you secondarily. Remember this, Jesus' authority, as Jesus' authority on the earth came from above. Jesus' authority on the earth came from within. Okay? So he says, my authority is from above, from God the Father. And then he says this over and over again in the book of John, I and my Father are... Jesus did what he did. John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it back up again. While everything that Jesus Christ did came from above, which means this, basically, everything that Jesus Christ did and said was divine. It was holy. It was pure. It was perfect. It was right. That's what he's saying when he says it comes from the Father in heaven. He's defending the fact that it's not demonic in nature, but it is heavenly in nature, right? And then he says this, but I want you to know this, that all authority comes from I'm God. Me and my Father are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Jesus Christ's authority was from above. It was right, it was perfect, it was pure. Jesus Christ's authority was from within. He did what he wanted to do. John 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, Jesus gives life to whomever he wills. Next, his attributes. We started with his accolades. We moved to his Assessments of himself, his 
uh, or actually his accolades included his assessments of himself, his, um, his eternality, and his ascendancy. Then we move to his authority, and now we're going to look at his attributes. In the book of John, there are several I am statements, okay? There, there are all these, matter of fact, there are seven I am statements, other than the one that says, where Jesus says in, in John 8, 58, I, before Abraham was, I am, Okay? There are seven other I am statements in the book of John, and here's what Jesus is saying about himself in the book of John. He, he is saying everything that you can ever need spiritually, right? Everything that you could ever need spiritually, you will find in me, right? Okay? Imagine a Christmas present on Christmas Day, and, and it's, it's, it's this huge, humongous box, and, and every present that you could ever imagine is wrapped up in that Christmas present. It's just one present, but everything is in that one present. That's what Jesus is. Jesus brings with him everything that we need for life and godliness. Jesus brings everything that we need for eternal life. Jesus Christ brings with him everything necessary for us to be at in harmony with God the Father, right? So here's the key to the Christian life. It's not having the things that are in the present, which is what we often pursue, isn't it? In reality, the goal in the Christian life is to have the present. It's to to have Jesus. And once we have Jesus, we, we have everything that we need for life, right? There's nothing missing once you have Jesus, Matthew 13, the Lord talks about a man who searches for the pearl of great price, which is a picture of Jesus. And and when he finds it, he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can have that pearl. In other words, that that pearl, which is the picture of Jesus, makes everything else insignificant. That's the greatest treasure that we can have. Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure that you and I can have. Not the benefits that Jesus Christ offers. Listen to me, lost people can desire heaven and not desire Jesus. They, they can. It's, it's, it, it can be ingrained in their, in their nature. It's different to desire Jesus and get heaven as a benefit or a bonus. But folks, listen to me, it's all about having Jesus in your life. Jesus is what matters. Jesus is what makes the difference. You can pursue all of the things that Jesus offered for all of your life and end up in an eternal place called hell. Or you can pursue Jesus. And you might have some suffering in this life, but my friends, you will not have suffering in the next life. Jesus' disciples were a picture of that. Yes, they made sacrifices in this life, but you know what? There was no greater treasure than that of Jesus. What is Jesus? Listen, he says this, Jesus is the bread of life in John 6 and verse 35. In other words, he is sufficient. You read just before that at the beginning of John 6, do you know what he does? He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying this bread, five loaves and two fishes of Jesus is enough for everyone. And then he says, I am the bread of life. And then he goes on to John 6 to say, hey, if you've eaten, eaten my, my body and drink my, my blood, you have eternal life. And he's not talking about that in a, in a literal sense. He's talking about that by faith, that we partake in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection by believing. 
You see, that's the whole theme of John. It's not about doing these things literally. It's about believing these things. Jesus wants us to believe and embrace by faith that what we cannot do, he can do. And what we, don't, we do not have, he does have. Amen? He is the bread of life. He is sufficient. He is the water of life in John 4. He is satisfying. He tells the woman, can you draw some water from the well, right? She said, he says to her, if you, draw, if you drink the water that you draw from that well, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water that I will give you, do you know who he's talking about there? If you will drink of me. If you will drink of me. Oh, what, a, what amazing truth. If you will drink of me, you will never thirst again. He's the water of life. He's the light of the world. John 8 and verse 12 and 9 and verse 5. He's illuminating. He, he makes us, causes us to see and to hear and to understand things that are important and spiritual that without him we could not see and understand. He is the way to salvation and favor with God. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father lest they come through me. John chapter number 10, Jesus is called the good shepherd. He is the provider, protector, and shepherd of his sheep. Psalm 23 is what you can read along with that. He cares for us. He cares for us every single day, every single moment. The reason we can go home today and get ready to open up presents tomorrow is because the Lord God cares for us. The reason we can sit here at church on Christmas Eve is because he cares for us. He's a shepherd that cares for his sheep. He's a provider, protector, and shepherd, a good shepherd. He tells us in John 11, verse 25, talking to the um, Mary and Martha as Lazarus has died, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. For he who believes in me may die, but he will live again. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And I wrote this down next to that. He is the giver of hope and the giver of life. And you know, we, we as Christians need to take hold of that because we as Christians ought to be the giver of hope, the givers of hope and the givers of life. Not in the same way that the Lord does, but our lives should exude hope and life. John 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the vine. He is the source of all strength, sustenance, and help. He says, as long as you're connected into the vine, everything's going to be okay. But whenever you're not connected into the vine, things, things fall apart. Here's what the Lord is saying to us this morning by these seven I am's. Anything you need spiritually, I am. Anything you need spiritually, Jesus Christ is. You need, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. And when I have Jesus, I have everything necessary for life and godliness. 1 John 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. His attributes, 
What do we need? We need Jesus. Next, his abilities. Seven miracles. You, you notice that seven is a key in the book of John. It is very much a key. Matter of fact, most of the book of John is broken up in sevens. Seven miracles in the book of John. Each one of them describes something for us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, okay, I see that Jesus Christ is everything. I don't need anything but Jesus, right? We, we can agree with that. Jesus is everything. But then, at the end of the day, we might conclude, but he would never want me, right? He would never take me. I, I'm not significant enough, or I'm not important. You don't know what I did when I was, right? So here's what Jesus does. He gives us seven miracles in the book of John to tell us that there's nothing too big for God. Amen? So here's the first miracle. John chapter number two, he turns the water into wine, right? We all love that story because we want to go home and drink wine, right? This is not what that story is about, all right? I'm just telling you. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's what Jesus is saying. This is such an important gospel message. That story teaches the gospel in so many ways. Jesus says to his disciples, every year or every season, the people would go and they would fill up their pots with water. And they would fill their pots up about 80% with water, and they would add 20% alcohol. And what they would do is, is because they did not have the purification systems that we have today, the alcohol that was added to the water would purify the water. Okay? And get followed with me. This is the gospel. This is what this is all about. Jesus says to them, take the purification pots, which were 20 to 30 gallons, Go and fill them up, but don't fill them up 80%. Fill them up all the way to the... You know what Jesus is saying to them? You're not going to need wine to purify this water. I'm going to purify this water. You know something? That's what the gospel says to us. The gospel says to us, you're not going to need the things that this world has to offer to purify your life, to set you free. What you are going to need is you need Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that Jesus Christ cannot purify. I remember I went to Peru a few years ago on a missions trip, and they told me, when you go there, just try to avoid the best you can the water, because my stomach wasn't really adjusted to that. And I remember one, I was like really good at it, and one meal, we went over to some people's houses in the church, and they made this little special drink concoction, and I just drank it, and it just killed me, right? And it, my stomach was just totally not ready for it, and it had a whole bunch of infirmities in it. You know what Jesus Christ is saying when he turns the water into wine? He's saying this, I can purify anything. I don't need any earthly help. I can take care of it. See, that's the gospel. It's, it's, it's a shame that we've taken stories like that and made them into something human. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ can cleanse anything. Even the dirtiest of lives, he can take care of. The second miracle is the healing of the nobleman's son found in John chapter number four. We talked a little bit about that already. But Jesus Christ says to him, he comes and he asks the Lord to heal his son. And he says the same hour that he said those words, the, the, the son began to get better. This is a picture of the fact that, that salvation is of grace. It is God's grace towards this man. Even before, the text implies that even before the man believed the words of the Lord, the Lord had already healed the son. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works so that no man can boast, right? Our salvation is not based upon anything that we have done or anything that we are. It's based totally on what Jesus Christ has done and who Jesus Christ is. Amen? Number three miracle, the healing of the, of the man who was paralyzed. He sat, at the, he sat at the water, right? At the well, at the pool, and he waited every year and when it came time to get into that pool, the first person into that pool was healed. When it came time to get into that pool, there was nobody there to help him to get in that pool, and he couldn't get in the pool himself, right? Jesus said, I'll help you get in the pool, right? Do you know what Jesus said to him? Rise up and walk. Jesus didn't need no pool, did he? That's the gospel. Jesus doesn't need any of our help. He does it on his own. We've talked already about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is sufficient. His gospel, his word, the bread himself is sufficient to save anyone. Then we have the healing of the blind man in John chapter number 9. It's interesting about the blind man is the Bible says the blind man was blind from birth. And his disciples came and said to him, why is he blind? Who has sinned, him or his parents, right? Because blindness is a picture of spiritual blindness. It's, this guy was physically blind, but he also is a picture of spiritual blindness. The question is, is why is he blind? Why is he blind spiritually? Did his parents sin or did he sin? And here's what the Lord says. Remember this. He is blind for the glory of God. That's the gospel. The gospel is all about the glory of our God. We may not like that, but it's true. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 that he has not chosen the rich, he has not chosen the mighty, he has not chosen all these people so that no flesh will glory in his presence, but those who glory will glory in the Lord. The sixth miracle is the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter number 11. I don't have to talk about that very much. It just says that there's nothing impossible for God. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, but he is capable of making us alive. Amen? The last miracle is found at the end of the book. It is Jesus Christ filling the nets of the disciples with fish. You know what that is? It's discipleship. It's us doing something. God has saved us. God has raised us from the dead. And he says to his disciples in John 21, I believe it is, he says to them, you know something? Do you guys love me? He says it to Peter. What does he say? Feed my sheep. He fills their nets full of sheep or, or fish, Right? And he says to them, feed them. Lastly, his admonition. Jesus did all of this that you might believe. That's it. Almost 100 times the word believe is used in the book of John. Out of 200, it's used in the total New Testament. The Greek word pastuo means to embrace. It means to trust. 
Jesus has told us who he is so that we might believe, and believing we might have life. His life, not our own. He wants us to believe. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him has everlasting life. He wants us to believe. He wants us to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, he says, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the mouth man, uh, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right? He wants us to embrace what Jesus Christ has done for us. Listen, folks, salvation is not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus Christ has done. Can you wrap your arms around that? He wants us to love God. He wants us to disciple people. And he wants us to not worry about what happens to other people. You'll remember at the end of John after Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep three times, he says, feed Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. He says, feed my sheep. At the very end of that story, Peter starts walking and he looks back and he notices John, the beloved disciple. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, what about him? Jesus has just told him that he's gonna die a very, very difficult death. And here's what Jesus says to him. Peter, you worry about you and I'll worry about him. You know what Jesus wants us to do? He wants us to embrace his son. He wants us to embrace him as Lord and Savior. He wants us to teach him to others, disciple people into the kingdom. He wants us to live a life that is totally and solely committed to his will and to his glory and has nothing to do with our will and our glory and what happens to our neighbor. Jesus says this several times in the book of John. And I'm going to paraphrase, but you'll get the gist. If you seek the glory of men, you will not have the glory of God. So my challenge to you this morning is, as we unpacked all of these gospels, that we would learn to appreciate who Jesus Christ is, what he did for us, what he does in us, and what he promises to do through us. And may his life be your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day and for the privilege we have to be here on Christmas Eve to celebrate the wonderful birth of you coming into this world, Lord Jesus, to save us from our sins, to um, give us new life, and give us your life. We pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would even open up their eyes and their ears now that they might hear and see the truth and be saved. We pray for the rest of us, Lord, that you would motivate us, encourage us to be, a, be discipling people all of the time for your glory and by your grace, and that we would not seek to praise self, but seek, Lord God, for your praise. Pray that you would bless the remainder of our service in Christ's name. Amen.